Hello and welcome to the Hope Midtown Podcast. We are so glad that you could tune in. You are about to listen to our latest sermon from this past Sunday. We hope that you are blessed and this word ministers to you. For more information, visit our Instagram page at Hope Midtown. That is H-O-P-E-M-I-D-T-O-W-N, Hope Midtown. Now, here's our latest sermon. Hey everyone, we've actually been in a sermon series called On Mission, and what we've been exploring is when it comes to purpose and mission and what Christians believe is really the purpose of life, we've been exploring this theme of the mission that God has given to us and how his mission is one where he sends us into the world to be part of renewing all things. Now this happens both in word and in deed, and last week Ryan preached a great message for us really exploring this idea of how are we to live out this idea of sentness as opposed to simply being inviters but being sent into the world of being people who are consistently um, sharing the good news of Jesus and hopefully making uh, earth look a little bit more like heaven uh, in the ways that we live and work and play. And so today we're actually going to be talking about something very important, and it's this idea that really mission is defined and shaped by following Jesus. Now, I know that sounds really simple and almost so simplistic, but you'll discover with me, hopefully, like how difficult that is to do because so many things get cluttered into this idea of what it means to follow Jesus. And instead of looking and feeling like Jesus in the world, what Christians can do is we can adopt a posture and a stance that looks so different than Jesus, which is so crazy because the invitation to being followers of Jesus is really walking in his ways. Now, uh, this past week in our Alpha course, and Alpha is really this environment where we get together and we get to um, talk about, uh, have discussions about matters of faith from people from various different backgrounds, whether you're a skeptic or an atheist or someone who's coming back to church or someone who's been a Christian for a long time. This is really a space where people can share. And one of the things that came up consistently for for these different people uh, who come from various different backgrounds, whether it's atheism or agnosticism or someone who was a Christian but is really struggling with their faith, one of the things that we surmised was this. Was so many people said, the Jesus story is so compelling. Uh, in fact, the Jesus story of someone who comes to live and die for his enemies and to show us a different kind of way of life, of forgiveness and of kindness, like that story is so compelling. But honestly, what we've experienced from the church and from Christians has been so uncompelling. Uh, the systems of oppression and abuse that the church history is littered with, and maybe even modern experiences with churches and the ways in which Christians are known in the world and in the city today. And what was so fascinating was, despite whatever background people come from uh, or whatever their religious disposition might be, this idea that somehow Jesus is compelling, but his followers may not be. And yet... And yet, what we discover is in the Jesus story that he is super compelling. And and when we come to the heart of what it means to be uh, on mission, it really comes down to, are we being a people who are living and demonstrating the way of Jesus? Because Jesus is really at the center of it. Uh, In fact, in Mark chapter 1, we have this passage where Jesus basically gives the center of what Christian faith is all about. He basically says these words. He says, follow me. A person, not a dogma, not a religious code, not a set of media kind of pundits who tell you this is what it means to be a Christian or a pastor or even a church. He says, follow me, a person, Jesus, 
this person who claims to be the way, the truth, and the life. Follow me, a person. Uh, Sung Chan Ra, who's this author and scholar and professor out in California, uh, one of the things that he observes is it's interesting how today Christians are more known to being people who support the right to bear arms rather than being for immigration reform. And one of the things he observes is if you were to look throughout the scriptures, there is nothing, absolutely nothing in the teachings of Jesus that would ever say anything about a right to bear arms. Instead, Jesus preaches love and forgiveness. And yet somehow, the story of Jesus and followers of Jesus today in this country has been co-opted by this belief that a right to bear arms is associated with Jesus following. And one of the reasons why he brings up immigration reform, though, is that immigration reform, caring for the foreigners, the widows, the orphans, that is littered throughout the history of the story of God and his people. And care and concern for the marginalized is something that Jesus talks about regularly. Now, I'm not saying this as someone who's basically trying to make a political statement because I do believe that both sides hopefully will care for the immigrant, etc. But when it comes to this idea of the right to bear arms, where in the world does that come from? That is not a Christian thing. That is something that somehow has been co-opted by whoever it might be and somehow it's been associated with what it means to be a Jesus follower. Now, this is so different than, again, when Jesus says, follow me, the person of Jesus. You know what's so startling? Is that Jesus would actually teach about how uh, people would actually be able to say that they follow him and yet have lifestyles and a way and a manner of teaching, of beliefs, and uh, of actions that would be so different than his heart. In fact, there's this passage in Matthew chapter 7. Check out what it says. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And he says this, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Here's what Jesus is basically saying. People can talk a good game of how much they follow Jesus, prophesy, do these extraordinary things. And look at what Jesus says, and this is so sobering. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Like Jesus would actually predict that there would be people who would in his name do all sorts of miracles. And yet he would say, I never knew you. Now that's an incredibly sobering thought. Because most of the people that Jesus would say this to were religious leaders. Religious leaders like me. Like clergy people who would claim to speak in God's name and do things in God's name and yet so, be so far from it. You know what's amazing is Jesus would often call religious leaders uh, hypocrites, which basically means is the word that we get hypocrites from. Hypocrites were people who wore, they were like actors who wore this mask and who, who would speak something. And yet the way they behaved and the, the way they were in private was so different. And again, I only say this really as an indictment on myself because Jesus's words of, hey, watch out. Because you will do these things. You will prophesy in my name. You'll do miracles in my name. And yet, I will say to you, I never knew you. Now, that's incredibly sobering for someone like me. Now, what would it look like for each of us who perhaps you're attending this church online service today, or maybe you're in person, 
whatever it might look like for us who profess to follow Jesus. Can you imagine? And it's so easy, I know that for myself, to be a hypocrite. Uh, I remember, because like, even as a religious person, like in the beginning stages of starting Hope Midtown, I remember like I would have to fill out these reports to our uh, church planting coach about like how our church was doing, you know, and I'd have to give attendance. And I'd be like, oh, we had about 30 people there. And then my wife, Tina, would be like, we didn't have 30 people there. And uh, she'd be like, we had, we had like 21. And I was like, oh, 21. I mean, I was, but 30 people RSVP'd. She's like, yeah, but we didn't have 30 people. And I'm like, yeah, but we can round up a little bit, you know? And like, it was just so funny how like, here I was as this religious leader who claimed to be someone who's walking in truth. And yet I couldn't have this integrity about (laughs) reporting an accurate figure, mostly because there were all sorts of my own self um, worth and my own sense of like feeling like I'm crushing this thing or feeling like I'm a better person because more people showed up, whatever it was that um, kind of filled the air, there was, it, for me, this hint of lying, of being someone who's untruthful about certain things because I feel insecure. Now, I am this religious clergy person, and I am so susceptible to being a hypocrite in so many ways. And what's crazy about this is when Jesus not only predicts this, but this shows up even throughout the early church. For instance, there's this story in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 19, it says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon possessed. So do you get this? Paul is someone who's got extraordinary power. And people are witnessing these miracles happen. And here's what happens is people notice this. So they start driving out evil spirits. They would say in the, and then this is what would happen to these evil spirits in the name of, of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Or this is what some of these people were saying, because they saw that there was power in the name of Jesus. Look at what happens. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. Now, one day, so if you can imagine, these seven sons of Sceva, they recognize that there's so much power in Jesus' name. So they're going around, in Jesus' name, come out, in Jesus' name, be healed. And miracles are happening. Then one day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. There it is again. This story of people who, by invoking the name of Jesus on the outside, it looks like we're all about Jesus. But inwardly, there's a lack of integrity there. So much so that they can do Jesus, do things in Jesus' name, and yet they're very far from Jesus. They've missed out on that first command of Jesus, which is basically follow me, a person. Not, not just use me or, you know, uh, do things in my name. Jesus wasn't saying that. He was saying, follow me. Follow me first. And yet so often when it comes to being on mission, we end up losing the very heart of why we signed up for this, which is Jesus. Jesus has always been 
the center. And here's one of the most sobering truths. The sobering truth is it's possible to do mission or ministry for God without God. Now, that's an incredibly sobering teaching. And yet Jesus taught it. And we see this example of seven sons of Sceva. Like extraordinary things could happen. And we can do ministry and mission for God without God. You know, as, again, a professional clergy person, I can basically stand before you and the mission of what's happening at Hope Midtown and in our broader Hope family and across the city, like all these incredible things can happen and we can have a great slick marketing campaign around all of it and make it look like God is doing all this stuff. And you know what's so sobering? Is that on the outside, there might be fruit, And I know in my heart, I can be so far from Jesus's heart. It's incredibly sobering and painful to even think about. But honestly, it's true when I look at my own life. Like it's so easy for me to strategize around how to grow a church, how to reach more people. And so somehow I've missed the heart of it all. Our church can flourish when it comes to our budget and our impact socially. And yet our hearts can be so far from Jesus. I can be someone who preaches great sermons, life-changing sermons. And it's all just a show. You know, what's crazy is I I think in a a city like New York and in a place like Midtown, so many of you are so gifted. And frankly, there can be enormous blessings on your life. Your trajectory is up and to the right. And of course, you do the Sunday things. You attend church. You're part of a group. You're serving in these different ways. And there can be so much blessing showered upon you. Blessing showered upon me. And yet if God were to sift through each of our hearts, we would find that our, our essence, our core is actually really far from Jesus. But we've been doing the cosmetic religious thing. You know, one of the invitations today is for you and me. What if we were called and invited to just get back to Jesus? You know, one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 27. One of the thing, the reasons why I like Psalms 27, Psalm 27 is because um, it talks about, um, it's written from this very real guttural place where someone, and scholars believe it's David who's on the run, his life is in danger. And look at what David writes in the midst of his life being in danger. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. 
whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me. Now keep in mind, David is fearing for his life. So he's writing this out as a poem, as a song to God. It is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. And look at what he says. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. The war break out against me. Even then I will be confident. And then he says this. One thing I ask from the Lord. This only do I seek. That God would make me successful in my field and make a lot of money and influence so that after I've achieved this greatness, then I can follow Jesus. Oh, no, 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 no. He doesn't say one. One thing I ask from him, that all my enemies will perish. And all those people who thought I was a loser in middle school will not think I'm a loser anymore. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek. In the midst of war, and armies besieging me. He says that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. He basically says one thing I want, Lord, you it's always been you whether I'm on the hilltop or I'm in the valley one thing I ask this is what I seek is you not the gifts that you give not the power I can possess because of you One thing I ask is you. You know, what if each one of us, if in the midst of our own life and journey, somehow what ends up happening is there's all these shadow side missions that we get lost in, you know, and the shadow missions... It's the American dream that we somehow baptize with. Oh, Jesus wants this for us. And so as a result, we're really pursuing the American dream and we're baptizing it with the name of Jesus. But really what we want is we want the American dream to make a lot of money, to be comfortable, to go on great vacations, to eat great food. And again, there's nothing wrong with this. I love all of those things, by the way. But this becomes what shapes us. And what our mission is about. And then we say, oh yeah, but I attend church as well. And I do the church thing. And I've done ministry and mission for God. But we've really done it without God. Without the first invitation that Jesus gave to follow me. And today, what if the call for you and for me was to come back to what it's always been about? Jesus. For those of you who are not of faith, what if the invitation for you was to come back and to find what Christianity has always been about? Jesus. And to find the story of him, 
even though your experiences of other Christians may be one of hypocritical behavior, maybe it's been me who's caused all these stumbling and difficult experiences of Christians. And maybe today is honestly for me to get out of the way and for you to come back to the story of Jesus and say, wow, I find that story so compelling. And that very desire to want the story to be true, to want the story of Jesus, someone who comes from an oppressed people group, who lives and dies on behalf of his enemies, but resurrects from the grave to show you a new kind of way of living. What if that story, what if it was true and the invitation was for you to kind of cut through the dross of all the misgivings of Jesus' followers and to find Jesus for who he is? What if the invitation was for all of us to basically just come back to Jesus, to follow him, the one who calls us by name, the one who has loved us from the start, the one who is a very fuel for mission wherever we live, work, and play. You know, this passage in Acts chapter 4 is so beautiful. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, because this is what happens, Jesus resurrects from the grave, Pentecost comes, which basically means a radical move of the Holy Spirit, and the church is birthed. And it's crazy because it's not like it was the cultural elite of society that was now all of a sudden spreading the word of Jesus. It was like this, these no-name ordinary people. And this is what it says in Acts chapter 4. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. It's like, who are these nobodies? And it says, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Been with Jesus. It's like what flipped the world upside down. That today, this movement that would end up touching us today in the middle of Manhattan, 2,000 years later, so that a Korean American guy who grew up in Los Angeles could be preaching here from New York City to you all and to us. Somehow it's because a story of a Jewish carpenter. There were these unschooled, ordinary people who, because of their ingenuity, their smarts, their, their profile, their CV, their LinkedIn kind of status, and their Instagram-like platform, like, no, 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 no. It was these unschooled, ordinary people who somehow, they had been with Jesus. And it's that with Jesus part of the story that would flip the world upside down. The invitation to you and to me is to meet this Jesus. Meet this Jesus to heal your marriage, to heal your relationships, to fuel you, to be the center of your life again. Not to be an add-on who somehow is rubber-stamped onto whatever your plans are, but instead to become the very center. Be the one who invites you again to follow him. Not a dogma, not hope midtown, not a pastor or a group leader, whatever it is, but to follow Jesus. That's the invitation for me and for you. Father, would you lead us to your heart? 
Lord, we, would, we don't want to do mission and ministry without you. And God, I just pray that each one of us would find the joy, the meaning, the purpose, the love, the kindness that you have for us, and find in you the one who is worth following once and for all. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.